Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Teacher Prep Tech. This is Dr. Dickinson, and today we're going to be talking about assessment. We have with us our special guest, Denise Phillips. Denise comes to us with over 30 years of classroom teaching experience. She is a BITSA support provider and a master teacher. She also works as an adjunct for National University, and she has been the Elk Grove Unified School District Teacher of the Year, the Sacramento County Teacher of the Year, and was in the top 12 for the California State Teacher of the Year. Whoa, can we talk about accomplished teacher? In addition to all of her teaching accolades, Denise is also a professional development writer, facilitator, and keynote speaker. And she loves to ski, mountain bike, rock climb, and stand up paddleboard. She's definitely my kind of girl. Thanks for listening. So today we're going to talk to Denise about assessment. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Teacher Prep Tech. Today we have with us Denise Phillips, and Denise is all the way live from Yosemite, one of my favorite places to visit, and she's here to talk to us about assessment. Denise, we just got to hear all about your background and your years of experience working in the classroom as a bits of support teacher and a master teacher. Tell us, what is your, um, for our audience, what's your teaching superpower? What's like your, your greatest strength as a teacher? You know, I'm I'm glad you said that. I'm excited to be here. I'm glad you said that. And <laughs> because I think one of the things that we don't um, acknowledge enough is the ability to read the room and recognize the soft data that we're getting. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to talk about that a lot when we talk about assessment. And I think my superpower is to be able to get an innate sense of where students are as we're moving through the lesson and be able to adjust that or ask them or involve them in the adjustment of that and be able to adjust my instruction accordingly on the fly. So that flexibility, I think, is my superpower. Oh, wow. That is a huge skill. And I know our teacher candidates need to be able to kind of monitor themselves and their students for their Cal TPA assessment. Um, so that's a huge like mindset that you kind of ingrained and touched upon, but I'm glad that you brought that up because that seems pretty abstract for a new teacher. How do you kind of manage that in the classroom when you're trying to demonstrate content matter knowledge? You know, it is, it is a tricky thing. And I think starting with the end in mind is the absolute, um, the, the, the key. If you know when you're going into a lesson what you're trying to get out of that lesson, what is the end product, whether it's knowledge, skills, understanding, what's the end product you're trying to get from that lesson, That then when you're working through that lesson, if something isn't going in the direction that you planned, in your mind, you know where you need to go. And so it's easy to say, well, I'm going to take a detour around here and come back because that'll still get me to that end product. Right. Sometimes I think we spend too much time trying to remember all the things we're going to do in a lesson. I'm going to ask these questions. I'm going to do this little thing. I'm going to have this discussion that we forget the end product. Mm -hmm. And I think just keeping in mind that end is the key. That's huge. And I was actually in the classroom this morning talking to students about writing math equations. And a student really had a hard time with it. 
And so I was like, oh, can you tell me, like, if somebody wanted to know your brother's age, you know, and you know what's, you know, we talked about having her think about her age in relation to her brother's when her brother was four years older than her and how that plus four would always be a constant. And she's like, I think I'm starting to get it. So, I mean, yeah. like you were saying, sometimes you have to take a detour and like find out where the kids are at and then how you can kind of tweak or find what you're doing to meet where you want to go and what you want the students to be able to understand by the end, whether or not they finish the activity or, you know, completed the worksheet or whatever it is, just so they can have that golden nugget you want them to walk away with. That's huge. Awesome. Yeah. And so that brings us to our conversation today about assessment. Um, And we kind of touched on some different kinds of, you know, informal and, you know, formal types of assessment, but just, Tell us a little bit deeper about the different kinds of assessment that teacher can gather, you know, either during or after instruction that will help them see if the kids got those golden nuggets. Well, I think one thing that you're going to see throughout when I discuss these things is the involvement of the students in this too, Mm -hmm. where they understand what the end product is, where they're going with this, and they're able to articulate Um, One of the key things that I think we need to do is bring students into the conversation and have them articulate where they are in their understanding of something. And I think while we look at the different forms of assessment, formative assessment that helps drive that instruction forward, and the summative assessment at the end of a lesson or at the end of a unit can also be formative to an extent. Mm -hmm. So I think we really need to look at whatever we're choosing, whatever tool we're grasping to use for data to drive our instruction forward, we need to understand what does that tool, does that piece that is helping us understand the larger puzzle reflect the learning of all of the students? Mm -hmm. So if I do a quick write and I use that as a little formative assessment, I may have a student that really understands that science concept, Mm -hmm. but has a hard time expressing that in writing. So how can I make sure that I can do these different assessment ideas so that I really get the picture I need to get that helps me guide my instruction moving forward? Wow. So you kind of touched upon the different kinds of assessment, whether it's a formative assessment that you're using, like a quick write to say, do they get it? And then thinking about it through another lens of just of writing it, but also orally articulating it. Um, drawing a picture of it right making a graph making a chart that sounds like udl right there <laughs> it kind of is and sometimes when we're really looking at udl we look at it we were talking about this earlier we look at it like a checklist oh i have to incorporate all these things check 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 right and no it's just in more of an understanding of if i'm trying to understand if students um understand photosynthesis Mm-hmm. How? What are some ways that I can get that understanding? And making sure that if I give a quick write and that student didn't understand it, maybe I go back and ask them orally, okay, so I noticed in here, tell me about it in your words. And all of a sudden they can just rattle it off. Well, my goal wasn't the writing piece. My goal was understanding photosynthesis. So I need to provide multiple ways for them to be able to express that. Okay, I see. So when I'm planning or when I'm writing a lesson plan, let's say – on photosynthesis, should I be including all the different assessment tools or just picking one? You know, so I, I think it's tough because we, you know, we don't want to have 
15 million data points that we have to go in and look at at the end. I think we just need to be cognizant of understanding that if I do a quick write, if I do some sort of quick little um, assessment, mm-hmm. maybe I offer to the students, hey, take out this piece of paper. What I want you to do is draw, write, or diagram or chart okay. your understanding of photosynthesis. Oh, and I that, that way you're getting one piece. But you're, you may get it in different forms, but you're still getting one piece and not, okay, I'm going to do a drawing on photosynthesis. I'm going to do a three-question quiz. I'm mm-hmm. going to do a quick write. Then you've got all these data points, and it's hard to keep track of. Right. Okay. Okay. So, yeah, we use that a lot in math instruction where the kids are showing their understanding in multiple ways. And yep. so maybe they've done a picture of, you know, what is three groups of six, and then maybe they've written it as using the symbolic notation of three times six. And then maybe they've also said, you know, three groups of six in in the context of, you know, I have three packages of bubblegum with six pieces in each. So you see that they understand it like they, whether they have this really deep understanding where they're able to articulate all those different ways, or maybe they're still working on the representation of it in in a drawing. So, wow. I, I never thought there was all that overlap in all the different subject areas. I'm so glad you brought that up. That's huge. Well, you brought up a good point that kind of made me think of something is that, you know, I was going to have them just give a choice. How do you want to express it? Mm-hmm. But it's kind of nice what you were saying where maybe we don't dictate what three ways they express their thinking, but we give them those choices and we say, I want you to explain or be able to express what you know about photosynthesis or about this math concept in two of these ways. And maybe there's a poster up in the room. Oh, I love says, it. I want you to, you know, maybe there's five or six ways, a, a drawing, a chart, a graph, um, you know, orally. And maybe they pick two of them. And like you said, that way we understand not only their cursory knowledge, but their depth of understanding, too. Mm. I like that. Yeah. Wow. Great conversation so far about assessment. And we talked about already some of the different forms of assessment that can be gathered during assessment. But can you just articulate like some ways that you can actually analyze those different forms of assessment? Absolutely. I mean, as I talked earlier, you know, you don't want 75 different data points because it makes that hard to analyze. So when you're purposeful about what you choose and say, look, I want to know if they've gotten to this point and I'm going to use this formative assessment piece to get me there and then I'll adjust my instruction. Mm-hmm. So what I would do is, and I liked quick write response boards, but I also brought in a lot of students, um, student responses and student self-reflection. Right. And it takes some time to get them to be able to articulate it, but nothing drove me more nuts when I would go ask the student, they would say, I don't get it. And I would say, okay, talk to me about what you get and don't get. And they would say, I don't know, all of it. But if we can get them to the point where they're articulating, they've suddenly given you data. And so mm-hmm. you can analyze their responses. How much, what did they understand? What did they not understand? What resources do they need moving forward? So what? I'd say... Be purposeful in what you're choosing to Mm -hmm. bring in as that data. Just like we backward map the whole standard, backward map your assessment points Mm. so that you can say, okay, at this point, I'm going to evaluate whether they've gotten to this point where I need them to get to. If not, I'm going to have to jig or jag depending on what that information showed me. That's how I analyze the data. And I use small little pieces. 
Mm. And does that vary in terms of the different kinds of learners that you have and what their learner, what their goals are? Is this, you know, when they're either IEP or as an yeah. English language learner? Well, it depends on whether we're talking about modification or um, com- like if we're talking modifying, then the goals that I'm setting for them are going to be different based on either their IEP or sometimes 504 goals where they might have an absolutely different target. But Mm -hmm. if we're just talking differentiation, they might need to show it in a different way, express it in a different way, and that's fine. So it really depends on who that student is. If I've got an English learner that isn't yet fluent in conversational English, then I might let them explain, I keep going back to photosynthesis, explain their understanding of photosynthesis by recording in their native language or drawing a picture. So oh, it just okay. really takes kind of a float of deciding, okay, when I have those those different learner profiles, right. am I getting what I need to get about that particular thing from all of my learners? And that is the trick, the science right. and the art of teaching right there. Yes, I love that. The science and art of teaching. Wow. So knowing your learners, then you can make instructional decisions about what assessment you would gather right? During instruction. Mm -hmm. But what are some ways that teachers can guide and monitor student learning during instruction? I tend to use, I talk about soft data and hard data a lot Mm -hmm. when I'm talking with with teachers. And I think um, at the beginning, you asked, what's my super skill? And to me, it's being able to make adjustments as I go. Well, sometimes, you know, I'm in the middle of a lesson. I haven't done one of those sets hard data points that I had talked about, that I want to do this, but yet I'm sensing they're not getting it. Right. So where am I getting that information? It might be from conversations happening that I am observing in mm-hmm. those times that I have them think, pair, share, or talk in trios, or do talking sticks. I might be getting that by just listening to them. It might be asking them, okay, what parts of this are we getting? What parts are we not getting? Um, so I might be doing it from their conversations. Mm-hmm. I might be getting it also from their half about this. And so it really depends. I'm sorry, I had to switch. My headphones went out. Uh-huh. <laughs> so it really depends on um, kind of what's happening in the classroom. You can even get data from body language. Right. You yeah, know, I was thinking about that. As a new teacher, because you're going and going, I have to do this, this, this. Don't forget to look at the room, read your right. room, get the feel of your room, get the vibe of your room. There is something to that. Yeah, I was thinking about that because I, with that, Marzano talked about that with itness. Did I pronunciate that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. And that takes so much time. I remember being a new teacher and just wanting to articulate, you know, the the concepts correctly and get through my lesson because I was so stressed out that I would get behind my peers and where I was supposed to be. Mm-hmm on our pacing plan. Um, but what about like, you know, if I, if I am working with the pacing plan and let's say I have a benchmark assessment coming up, how can I use an assessment to kind of plan instruction or can I do that? Or is that kind of teaching to the test? What's your thoughts on that? I don't know if it's teaching to the test, because if you think about it, when you look at, sometimes when I look at benchmark assessments, I look at them and I identify the skills and the knowledge 
more importantly, the skills mm-hmm. that they're going to need to do successfully to do well on that test. Because we don't know exact questions that are going to happen, but what are those skills that enable them to do this successfully? Is it um, being able to read and respond, which is a standard, but read and respond to multiple sources of information to answer a specific question? Um, is it uh, being able to identify bias? Is it able to identify procedure in a science thing? What are those skills? Then how can I build those skills across my content area right. so that when they're presented those skills in a benchmark test, they're able to transfer that. And it's hard because there is that, you know, do I teach to the test? Do I not teach to the test? I think, you know, when we really look at it, our standards are driving what we do in the skills, knowledge, and dispositions for learning that make us successful in those standards are kind of what we should be going for. And then the out product, the end result will be success if we, if we're able to meet that. Mm-hmm. It's kind of tricky, though. It's a balance. No, but it is important. I I remember getting those uh, when we started doing performance-based assessments Mm -hmm. in math, and I was the math coach, and, you know, our teachers were so used to just assessing them on the skills. You know, can they multiply, add, subtract, and divide? But now with these performance-based assessments, it was can they understand the problem in a context, and then can they explain their thinking? And that really is higher order thinking. So totally agree. in many ways, it was the assessments were driving our teachers to kind of push their instruction to go beyond, you know, kind of lower end Bloom's taxonomy of um, understanding and knowledge to those higher ends of Bloom's, which is analyzing and synthesizing. So, yeah, I mean, it it was almost like it was a double-edged sword. I was like, well, I kind of like the assessments. (laughs) Well, you know, and I think even though we've had, you know, we've been implementing Common Core for many years in math, I think that I've been working in professional development with teachers for the last 10 or 12 years. And it almost seems like the last two or three years, especially Mm -hmm. in the high school math classes, is the time where people are really starting to wake up to, oh, I'm going to need to change how I teach mm-hmm. in order to help students not be successful on Common Core tests, but to do what is the vision of Common Core, which to get them to be critical thinkers and problem solvers and have skills and dispositions to apply that thinking across not just in math, but across subjects. I and mean, really that disposition of learning, you know, the mathematical standards, if you look at the mathematical um, practices, they're not just for math, if you really think about it. Right. And so I think it's really been where teachers are saying, okay, what do I need to do in my daily teaching to get them to assess well on the Smarter Balance Test? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm so glad that you brought that up about those practices being really good teaching and something that can transfer to other subjects and promotion of higher order thinking, which brings me to my next question about if you could talk specifically specifically about the kinds of assessment that will allow students to actively engage in higher order thinking or deep learning. I truly think it's those assessments that allow them to see a transfer of what they're learning to real Mm -hmm. life applications Mm -hmm. and also to bring in that metacognitive piece to have them identify 
So if we're talking the two forms of assessments, the formative assessment piece, by truly having them identify what do they know, what do they not know, and what resources do they need, if they're actually making those decisions and saying, I understand this, I do not understand this, I need something that's going to help me with this, mm-hmm. if you think about it, that's higher order thinking. Right. And then all of a sudden, they're able to apply that where you present a problem to them like you were talking earlier, where you were saying, okay, if we're talking equations, so where are we applying this in real life? Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, they're thinking outside that I need to follow these rules. And that's higher order thinking, where they're seeing that transfer. And, you know, Bloom's is, is, is something we're still working with. But if you look at the cognitive rigor matrix and Karen Hess's work and that, that you know, looking at Webb's depth of knowledge, it's about getting that application piece to level three and level four, where they're seeing that transfer. Mm. That, to me, is how you build that. But you have to build it in your instruction day to day and not just have it be a type of test you give. Right. Day to day. That's huge. And you talked about metacognition, which I remember reading that definition about five or 6,000 times when I was a graduate student. And then one day it finally clicked. But it has to. Yeah. It takes what, is, what does that look like in the classroom? Like if I was to walk in and I'm the principal, what might I see in terms of metacognition? What would that look like? Um, it would it would sound like Mm -hmm. students saying specifically this is where I am Mm. this is what I'm understanding this is the frustration I'm having this is what I'm completely confused about you wouldn't hear I don't get it you would hear I'm totally confused about what you did right there I have no idea what you're saying but I understand this can someone explain this to me in another way Mm. you'd see a loud classroom Um, It'd be a classroom filled with students maybe sharing to each other different ideas because sometimes the way a teacher says it, they can say over and over and over again, and they're still saying it the same way. But if they're hearing different students process their own thinking, all of a sudden it may connect in a way that makes sense to them. So that you would, it would be more about what you would hear. Right. You know, there's a lot of work that teachers do with doing student self-assessments at the top of the page where they write what they, you know, on a one to five, how much they understood it. And there's a room for that. But I think there's more room for them being able to express what they're learning, what they're thinking. And most of our schools are moving into social emotional learning initiatives as well. And that's a part of it, you know, that being able to say, I am cognitively not with it today. Mm hmm. And, you know, I'm having some things going on and I don't know if that's what's causing me to not understand this, but I'm not getting this because of that. If we can get that discussion happening, that's a powerful classroom. Yes, that's huge. So what I hear from you is that you're going to hear and hear students thinking about their thinking. Yes. And you're going to see students um, engaging in meaningful conversations and talking about their thinking process and how they understand ideas. Yep. yep. And you might also see teacher demonstrating information in multiple ways and having students explain their strategies or their solutions and how it worked for them. And then you'll probably hear, oh, like, I get it, or a lot of ahas and oh, wow. And so, and so finally. Yeah. <laughs> Awesome. Yeah, that's I was helping my son with his homework last night. We were working on a U cubed. U cubed was a Joe Bowler math problem. It was all on visual patterns. And I called up my friend. She's a 
an eighth grade math teacher. And I was like, can you please help me see this? Because every time I look at this, I just literally see circles. I don't see an equation here. And she's like, okay, Patricia, I want you to do this. I want you to highlight. And she had me get two, actually, she had me get three, three highlighters of three different colors and color in these arrays that for some reason, it was just not clicking with me. I don't know if I was just kind of burnt out, like you were saying, social emotionally, I had been working all day and then picking up my kids. And I was like, I cannot work on this problem right now. <laughs> but once I was able to highlight the circles in three different colors, I saw the pattern. It was, and it was just like this beautiful flower emerged in my garden. I was like so excited. I couldn't wait to keep like talking about it and then explain it, you know, and work with my son on it. We saw it together and we were so excited. And I swear to God, I dropped him off this morning. He was so excited because he had figured out this math problem that no one else in the class knew. Um, it's just that, I mean, and that's just that excitement, enthusiasm about learning can actually be translated when we get to experience struggle and then achieve an understanding. I mean, that's motivation right there in a nutshell, isn't it? I really think so. And I want to connect to something you said on that same note of that motivation. You talked about the that in that classroom of metacognition, you'd hear the teacher expressing. I think the key is, and this is a tricky one because, mm -hmm. you know, we want control of our classrooms and we want to be, but I think the key is sharing your brain's learning process with the students too and saying, right. well, this is how I'm viewing it. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure I'm expressing this well to you. I'm not sure that I'm, this is how my brain's working. And all of a sudden, when you start sharing your own metacognitive practice, you know, there's a shift. Sometimes we think we need to be the authority. We need to be in charge all the time. But when we bring ourselves to their level and say, even with little kids, hey, we're a community of learners. I am still learning. And this is my learning process. Help me understand this more. Suddenly you'll get that connection. A little, mm -hmm. Like you said, you'll get that motivation from the students because they aren't just looking at it as authority. You're saying how it has to be done. Right. Yeah, it's a little, I mean, honestly, it was a little humbling for me to email my girlfriend last night. <laughs> but then, you know, it was, then it was that joy in learning again. And I was like, I was excited to do another math problem. So. <laughs> well, your son also saw that you sought out and researched resources that could help you understand. And that's pretty cool. Yeah, that, it, it, we're, yeah, it was, it was a good moment. It was a good mommy moment. Um <laughs> Well, we'll be right back where um, Denise is going to talk about our last question, which is about inclusion practices and assessment. So stay tuned for our next part of this episode. Hey, everyone. Welcome back. And again, we're here with Denise Phillips, who is just giving us so much insight and expertise into assessment. It's amazing to have you here today and talk about all the different ways we can assess. Woo! Um, but Denise, we also want to talk, talk about the import, importance of assessment and how it can support inclusion for all students. I think this is a really important thing that our, we want our candidates to know about and, and have understanding. So can you tell me what that might look like in terms of both formative and summative assessment? Well, I think, again, I'm going to go back to that um, conversation piece and that discussion piece. I think providing students the opportunity to discuss mm -hmm. what they know about something, what they don't know, what they observe, 
what they what they've um, maybe some experience they've they've had providing students multiple pathways for entering a conversation mm. by entering a conversation they end up learning from others also but it gives everybody no matter their level the ability to participate the ability to contribute to feel like they are part of that discussion and i think leveling that playing field without saying you're in this group you're in this group you're in this group right. is kind of crucial to me i do a lot of that through that discussion piece um i know you know you and i were talking off off the, the podcast about really opening up entry points for students and being able to get them to the point where everybody feels like they have an entry point into the understanding of this and mm -hmm. they can build from there. I think that's the key to it, but right. also acknowledging that some have a great deal of experience. So getting them to be able to share that without intimidating others is kind of the magic. Yes, it definitely takes a lot of magic. I know in the math community, we they call it kind of having tasks that have a low floor and a high ceiling. So as you as you shared, everyone can have entry. And so even starting like a math problem or, you know, we do a lot of video-based math problems um, with three-act math tasks. What do you notice? What do you wonder? And that way everyone can start having that conversation. And then I feel like once that conversation happens, you can start pull out some of the, the minutiae, the kind of like golden nuggets that students are bringing in and build on that and get yep. students to kind of go deeper with their thinking as well. Absolutely. Yeah. It's really that magic. But what about when you're designing like a summative assessment, what would include, what might inclusion look like in a summative assessment? And I, I love that you say that because, you know, we're moving away from relying on traditional multiple choice summative assessments as a measure of understanding. Mm -hmm. And even in some of the smarter balance style assessments where they might have different formats, they might have short answer, they might be um, you know, changing the sequence of something, they might be doing matching. We're still sort of accessing information from a, a narrower viewpoint. And I think that when we move towards more performance-based assessment and getting them to be able to share their understanding in different ways, I think that's when we really bring the inclusion in because yes. performance assessments allow for multiple entry ways. So if they understand part of it, they're able to get some of that down instead of just getting the answer right or wrong. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's what we need to do is make sure that when we're designing our summative assessments, we're providing the multiple entryways. Can we get every student to have some degree of success on this and give us enough information to know how to support them moving forward? Because a traditional multiple choice test or even a matching test doesn't give us that data of, okay, they missed it, but now what? Right. Now how do we help them? That's not the summative assessment isn't the end. That's the end of the beginning or the beginning of that I'm saying it wrong but you know what I mean where it's like right. okay now where do we go from here right How do support the student so what are some adaptations you might make to students if they have an IEP and you're doing say a writing assessment and they're you know they have issues with uh, with writing or they have you know um, trouble yeah. writing their ideas but you know they understand the content what would you do as we've talked before, I do a lot of giving them choice. It depends on their 504 or their IEP and what their goals are. It may stay specific, state specifically, okay, they have an issue with writing, so we're going to allow them to do such and such. Mm -hmm. But I would do things like draw it out, 
act it out. I would use things like Vocaroo, which is a little online tool that allows them, they can record their voice on a phone, but Vocaroo allows them to record their voice and then just send that voice file anywhere or post it somewhere. And they can just take the link from that voice and keep a running record of their um, understanding of something instead of always writing it out. Uh So I would just make sure, and then allow them choices in that. How would you like to explain photosynthesis to me? How would you like to explain this to me? and trying to get them to articulate how best they think they can explain it. Awesome. Those are, I never heard of that web tool. Is Vocaroo? How do you spell that? V is in Victor, V-O-C-A-R-O-O.com. Oh, and it's cool. just right online. And you might have to, I think it has a little flat. It's an old school tool. It's right. an old school web 2.0 tool. But I think you might have to allow flash on it. And then you just hit record, record your voice. And then at the bottom it says, do you want to save it? And it'll let you download an MP4 file or it'll produce a link and you just send the link to wherever. And then whoever clicks on that link can hear that voice recording. Oh, wow. Oh, they could use uh, the Anchor app, too, that I'm using. Great <laughs> episodes of their Yes, they can. That's funny. Is there other um, assistive technology tools that you have used that have been really helpful? I would say, you know, just, I don't know, Vocaroo is the one I tend to use. I used to use like Poplet and ones like that for them uh-huh. to graphically represent in thinking maps. I'm a kind of about thinking maps, right? but there's so many new ones out there. I mean, Flipgrid is an excellent one for getting them to be able to orally share their ideas and then be able to respond to each other's oral responses. So Flipgrid's another one that's pretty powerful. Yeah, no, I've, I've seen the Flipgrid and, um, one time I had my son, he hated writing. So we used Google speech to text Mm-hmm. which was actually right embedded in the Google Doc. And he was just so excited to see his thinking in a in a word form. And, and then, of course, the, the best thing was then he was excited to read it. I was like, oh, there you go. now he's reading and he hates to read. This is like a win-win for me as mommy teacher. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much, Denise, for joining us today. And I hope to have you back on the show soon, talk more about metacognition and supporting all learners in our classroom. I'd love to. Thank you so much for the time. And how can our listeners get in touch with you if they have additional questions? Well, they can definitely email me anytime at phillips.denise.m at gmail.com or through National University. If I if they're in one of my classes, we can work on some things, absolutely. But it, anytime you want to email me, I'd love, as you can tell, I love to talk teaching. Awesome. And we love having you and listening to you too. Thanks so much, Denise. Have a great evening. Thank you. Bye. Bye.